right, good morning, church. Good morning. Do you feel good? Make some noise if you feel good to be in the house of the Lord this morning. All right, I love the energy, and I'm so excited to be with you. We are fresh off of our first mission trip in New York, and we had a blast. We prayer walked, we met with people, we ate some good food, and we ultimately prayed to the Lord about where He wants us to start, what He wants us to do, and Lord, help us meet people who can help us understand the needs of this community. And I encourage you, if you are interested in being a part of what we're doing, we are in the early stages, so this is really the fun part where we're starting from the beginning and you can walk with me in the area, you can meet with people, and you can help us start to lay the groundwork for this church because God is up to something amazing in New York City. So I encourage you, come on, you can make some noise about that. I encourage you to join me. We have mission trips coming up for the next few months. So they'll give you some more information about that if you're interested. I'd love to host you. Well, we are in part four of this series about cancel culture, and I've been streaming faithfully as Pastor Craig has been teaching us a lot about the type of culture that we should have in this church against the cancel culture of the world. I love how he reminded us that Jesus doesn't cancel people, he cancels sin. That in itself is a bar slash a word. Can we get an amen for that? He doesn't cancel me. He cancels my debt and the record of my sin. And then he taught us about forgiveness. One of the most difficult ministries, but if Jesus forgave me, then I can find it in my heart to forgive you. And then in week three, he taught us about living a life of kindness. And I hope that you answered the call of the challenge this week and you did something kind for someone this week. Um, and we're coming to the end now in part four of our series, and I want to talk to you some, about something that's also pretty challenging, um, and I believe that it's a call for the church, especially now that we're starting to, starting to see things open back up and people are starting to come back to church, and we're seeing the dust settle from last year. I believe that the Lord is calling us to cultivate a culture of restoration in the church. Last year was hard. For most of us, whether you believe in God or not, last year was tough. And there are some people who are going to be walking back into the church who need mending, who need healing, who need to know that somebody cares. And I believe that this year and even beyond, God is compelling us to make sure that they walk into a community and a culture of restoration. Will you go with me to Galatians, the book of Galatians chapter 6? Paul reinforces this call to restoration, and I'm just going to read the first three verses, and then I'm going to pray and see what the Lord has for us. Galatians chapter 6, starting at verse 1, if you're there, say amen. If you're not there, just look holy while you look at your Bible, while you look at Zechariah. <laughs> Galatians chapter 6, verse 1. This is a no-judgment zone. Verse 1 says, Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something, when he is nothing, 
He deceives himself. Will you bow your heads with me as we pray over this word? Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you, God, for another opportunity to enter into your house and to receive your word. I pray that as we close out this series, Lord, that you would compel us all to be a part of the ministry of restoration. There are so many believers and non-believers in this world who are burdened and struggling. And Lord, I know you've called us to be your hands and feet in the earth. So I pray that this household of faith will be a place where people who are caught up in sin and people who are burdened with life will come in and meet people who have your heart of compassion, that they will pray with and walk with them to the destination of restoration. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen, amen, amen. Well, as I said, we are in the beginning stages of this church and we're walking around the communities and we're learning. My wife and I, last week, we just moved into our Harlem apartment and we are so in love. This is literally, this is our bedroom right here. This is our living room and this, it's, oh, I'm coming from a three bedroom house in Arlington, Texas to a one bedroom apartment in New York. And I'm, Lord, I'm like, Lord, you are a sustainer because not only do you lose space, but the rent doubles. I'm like, what sense does that make? Anyway, anyway, I can go off on that. But we're so grateful to finally be in our neighborhood and we're meeting our neighbors and we're learning the different restaurants and we're talking to people and asking them questions that can help us start this church. So even on our mission, tri mission trip, we walked around and we were asking specific questions to people. We would ask, hey, are you from here? Can you tell me about the needs of this community? Hey, do you know anything about the churches in this community? And then we would ask this question that gave us a really interesting answer. We would ask, hey, if we were to start a church in this community, what would draw you to the church? What type of church would you go to? And you, you would think you would get answers like, oh man, when I go to church, I need the choir to be jumping. Need the choir. I need the pastor to be preaching the paint off the walls. I need to hear some good preaching. Oh no, I need an amazing youth ministry for my kids. You would think that would be typical answers. But one of the common answers that we heard is that I just want to feel welcome when I walk in. I want to feel like I'm in a place where people actually see me and care about me. I want to be greeted with love when I walk through the door. And that was so profound to me because a lot of times when we think about starting a church, we think about the programming. We think about the ministries that we're going to start. We think about what is Sunday going to look like? What's our favorite song we're going to sing? But we're entering into a community of people where they just want to know, is this a place where I'll be loved? We're coming off one of the toughest years that we've ever faced. And if I come into the church, will there be help for what I need to heal from? People are in need of restoration. And what better place for them to receive it than the house of God? Amen? But it would be a tragedy if people leave the world and enter into the church and are met with the same level of judgment, the same level of condemnation, and are canceled by the very people who claim to be children of God.
that would be a tragedy. And in our text today, in Galatians chapter 6, verse 1, we read Paul as he is actually pushing against the culture of his time. And he's having to reinforce the truth of the gospel because there are a lot of false teachers that are raising up and they're way more handsome than him and they can preach better than him and people are starting to be captivated by lies and he has to write letters to reassure them and to tell them about his credibility. He had to, tell, he had to show them how he was a credible apostle because they wanted to cancel him. And then he also had to, te- re- he had to remind them of the truth of the gospel. And in chapter 6, he gives us three reasons why we should cultivate a community of restoration. In verse 1, we find the first one if you're taking notes. One is we are called to restore each other. If you are a disciple of Jesus Christ, if you are a child of God, if you're a Christian, then you are called to restore your brothers and sisters. Verse 1 says, brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, let me pause here because sometimes I read scriptures too fast, babe, I do that. Sometimes I read scriptures too fast and I miss what the Lord is saying. It says, brothers, if anyone, meaning non-believers and believers, is caught in a transgression. And if you read that, that sounds like, hey man, if you catch somebody sinning, but that's not what that means. It really means if you encounter someone who is caught up in sin, If anyone in your community is bound by something, then it says, you who are spiritual. So it's a specific person in the church who should be restoring people. And here's something that in our culture we hear a lot, especially with people who want to reject organized religion and not come to church. They'll say, you know, I believe in God, but I'm not a Christian. I'm just spiritual. Have you ever heard anybody say that? I'm spiritual. But the Bible tells us that spiritual means that you have the Holy Spirit in you and you're led by the Holy Spirit. So you can't be spiritual and not have the Spirit. So all of you who have the Holy Spirit and are led by the Spirit, you are called to restore. And it says, anyone who is caught in any transgression. Any is a strong word because it includes the sins you're comfortable helping with and the sins you're not comfortable helping with. Ooh, we don't want to get real now. Because a lot of times we don't mind helping people as long as, it, long as their sin is in the comfort zone of our life. But there are some things that people come into the church dealing with that we are not comfortable walking with. But it says, anyone who is caught in any transgression. So we can't pick and choose what we want to help with. If the Lord calls you to it and you see the opportunity, it is your calling to walk with them. But there's a, there's a right and a wrong way to do it. It says, you are called to restore them in a spirit of what? Gentleness. Ooh. Because some of us have a heart to help, but we like to help harshly. You are not helpful when you try to help me with a spirit of condemnation or a spirit of judgment, oh, here's here's one right here, or a spirit of impatience. I'll help you, but you need to be restored tomorrow because I don't got time for this. (laughs) What? See, that's that's what deters a lot of us because restoration takes work and it takes time. You are not the finished product. 
And every day, come on now, every single day, we are working out and living out our own restoration process. You are walking with people who it's going to take them a while to be restored from what they need to be restored from. And if you have a spirit of gentleness, that will help them be better. But then the last part, it warns you, it says, keep watch for yourself, lest you too be tempted. Now, I know I said you should be able to help with any transgression, but let me backtrack a little bit. There are some transgressions that you can't help with because if they struggle with your favorite sin and you want to help them get over your favorite sin, you just went from being their accountability partner to their partner in sin. So be wise with what you help with. Okay, let me, crickets in here. We've all been there where we thought we were being helpful, but it ended up we were both worse off. Be wise with what you help with, but don't be picky because you're uncomfortable. So that's the first one. We are all called to restore each other. Let's read verse two. Verse two says, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. So here's the second reason why. First one, we're called to help restore. Point number two is we're commanded to bear with one another. So we've went from a calling to a command. And here's what's funny. This is what Christians like to do. We see people bearing with something. We see people who need help. And we like to use this one sentence because this is like the cheat code. This is like this is the get out of jail free card right here. Oh, I'll pray for you. Oh, I'm, not, I'm, I'm the only one that uses that. You see somebody struggling with sin, they're reaching out for help, they're burdened, and they come to you, and you're like, ooh, brother, sister, I'm going to pray for you. And you, look, you sound super spiritual when you say it. But here's the sad part of that. Sometimes we say, I'm going to pray for you, and we don't even do that. It just got us out of the conversation. They're satisfied, I guess. And then you walk away, and you didn't help them at all. But the Scripture says it's a command to bear with one another. Ooh, bearing with someone means spending time and walking with them and getting your hands dirty and dealing with them even when they have off days and on days and sometimes they fall and you have to restore them back and sometimes you'll feel like your work is in vain because now you're bearing with them in their burdens. And burdens doesn't always mean sin. There are some people where they're not caught up in sin, but life is just hard. I'm coming to church and I want to worship, but I'm thinking about what I'm going through at the house. I lost a loved one last year. My marriage is rough. My kids are crazy. I saw some uh, parents in here just say, ooh, amen, yes, my kids. <laughs> and you need someone to bear with you. It's a command. You don't believe me? Okay, go to John 13. Go to John 13, verse 34. Jesus says, a new commandment I give to you. Because I know you know the 10, but let me add one. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. And then he ends it by saying, by this people will know you are my disciples. The mark of a true disciple is how we love people. And a disciple's way of showing love should be bearing with his brothers and sisters. This is really tough. But 
If you see it as a commandment, you should see yourself as disobedient when God gives you an opportunity to help somebody and you allow your discomfort to stop you from helping them. And even as I say this, I think of many opportunities that I've missed because I was uncomfortable, I didn't feel like I had the time to help, I felt ill-equipped. Because we mess around and we think that this person needs me to have the ultimate solution for their problem, when that's not true. Some people just need someone to listen. Someone just needs you to be there. Jesus is the answer, but will you walk with me as I head towards him? This scripture reminds me of one of the scariest scriptures I've ever read, especially as a, a, a married man. We're going on five months. I see you, boo. I see you. Five months. I'm clearly a veteran. I'm, I'm going to write a book on marriage. It's coming out soon. <laughs> we'll have it in the lobby. But the scripture said, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. Oh, because when I think about how Jesus loves me, and I have to love her the way Jesus loves me, and how many second chances and third chances and fourth chances and fifth chances Jesus gives me, and how I don't deserve Jesus' love, but he gives it anyway, and how unfit of a bride I am for Christ, but he still stays with me. And then Jesus says, oh, that's not just for married people. I need you to love other people the way I love you. So love everyone like that. How I love you, love other people. That is not only a beautiful commandment, but a challenging commandment. Because loving like Jesus is not easy. Because if I love like me, I don't know if there'll be a lot of restoration going on. So that's the second one. We are commanded to bear with one. Let's read verse three and get this last one. It says, for if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. Hold on, pastor. I don't like how you just called me nothing. I don't like that. Can we skip this verse? No, we have to read this verse because it addresses one of the main reasons why people refuse to help other people. Two words, entitlement and righteousness, but not the good righteousness, self-righteousness. Some believers have gotten to the point to where they, they feel like they've served enough, been in church long enough, done enough good deeds that I'm above helping those new lost Christians. I'm above helping people who are deep in sin. I've been in church too long for that. I'm, I've proven to God that when you start feeling like that, you're really missing the heart of God and how he wants you to express that. Entitlement and self-righteousness is the killer of the ministry of, of restoration. Go with me to, um, as I, I, I wanna end this with a story. I wanna end this with a story. Uh, Jesus tells a story in Luke 15 that a lot of us are familiar with. In Luke 15, Jesus is addressing the Pharisees in their self-righteousness. Because Jesus was healing people and instead of celebrating Jesus touching the lame and them, and, and them being healed and them coming to the Lord and Jesus doing miracles, the Pharisees would turn up their nose and say, hmm, you're healing on the Sabbath. Hmm, Jesus is sitting with sinners. Hmm. And Jesus was shocked. And he had to teach a lesson that, that ministers to us today. A lot of us have heard this story. I know I have. 
the parable of the lost son or the parable of the prodigal son. We've heard this story, I've heard this story, but it wasn't until I studied it this week that I realized I missed the point of the story. Can I read it to you? Chapter 15, starting at verse 11, it says, Jesus said there was a man who had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. And not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey to Las Vegas, and there he squandered his property in reckless living. Verse 14, and when he had spent everything, so he took his half of the inheritance, went to Vegas, lived his best life, but your life is at its best until you run out of money. So he went broke, and then on top of that it says, and then a famine hit the country. So he's broke, and there's a famine. So in verse 15 it says, he hired himself out to a citizen in the country and his job was to feed pigs. Now this is significant because Jesus is probably telling a story about a young Jewish man. So a young Jewish man to take a job feeding pigs that are uh, ceremonially unholy and unclean, this is the lowest job he could ever get. So he went from being in his father's house to having the lowest, brokest place he's ever been. Verse 17, but when he came to himself, he said, how many of my father's servants have more than enough food to eat? He started to compare his life to his father's servants. And it says he came to his senses and he made up in his mind, I need to repent. I need to be restored. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to go home. And guess what? He didn't even expect ultimate restoration. He said, maybe my dad will let me be a servant because that's all I deserve. And then it says, Verse 19, no, verse 20, and he arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him, pay attention to this, and felt compassion and ran and embraced and kissed him. Look at the father's heart right here. It says when the son was afar off, the father didn't wait until his son came. The father ran to his son because he was full of compassion and he embraced him and kissed him. The father's heart was full of compassion for his lost son. Imagine if his heart was full of anger because of the money he lost, or full of frustration because his son would have rather spent his money and left than to stay and earn it and live with him. He had a heart of restoration. And then it says, verse 22, that the father embraced him and threw a a whole party and celebration for his son. He says, my son was lost and now he's found. My son was dead and now he's alive. Let's celebrate. Turn on the music, kill the calf. It's lit. We're about to have a party tonight. He celebrated when who was lost was found. And this is the point where I usually end the story And I think, oh, the moral of the story is we are all like the prodigal son. We were all lost, and the father welcomed us in. But I totally missed what Jesus was saying. Even though it's the parable of the lost son, it's actually meant that you focus on the older son who stayed. Let's see what happens when his older son sees that his younger son is restored. 
Verse 25, now his older son was in the field, and as he came and drew near the house, he heard music and dancing. So this is the faithful son, the one who didn't take the inheritance, the one who didn't live wild, the one who stayed faithful, and he's coming in from a long day of work, and he's walking to the house, and he hears He's like, what is going on in the house? What is this? So he's confused because what is this celebration for? Verse 26, and he, he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. And verse 27, it says, the servant said, your brother has come and your father has killed the calf because he has received him and killed, he, he has received him back safe and sound. Now you would expect his brother in the next verse to be like, yes, my brother is back. Let's celebrate. I'm so excited. But it says the next verse, he became angry and refused to go in and celebrate. And his father had to leave the party and ask him why he was angry. And the older brother said, I stayed. I've served in your house. I didn't take the inheritance. I did everything right. But you throw a party for him? He wasted his money on Vegas and women, but I've been the faithful son. Where is my celebration? This is the exact heart that kills the ministry of restoration. Here's the tragedy. If you're taking notes, write the, please write this down. If you don't get anything I say, write this down. The tragedy in the story is that the older son spent his life serving in the father's house but never adopted the father's heart. Oh, I need to rewind that. Blah, 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 blah. The tragedy is the older son spent his whole life in the father's house, but never adopted the father's heart. He never grew a heart for the lost. He never understood what it was like to be compassionate because he was so caught up in all the things he was doing for the house that he couldn't even celebrate his lost, and the scripture says his dead son returning and being restored. Church, we cannot allow entitlement and self-righteousness to block us from being a part of the most important ministry that the church can provide. Because you should be compelled to help people be restored when you think about your own story. We are all products of restoration. We were all lost. We were all dead in our sin. We were all far from God. It says that we were all his enemies, but at the right time, he sent Jesus to die for our sins. And with the shedding of Jesus' blood, we were restored in God's eyes, not because of anything we did, all because of what Jesus did. So here we are with our restored self-righteous self and lost people come in and we turn up our nose. We don't even celebrate them because we're waiting for a celebration because of the acts that we do in church. The father told the son, everything I have is already yours. But you can't celebrate your brother who was lost and dead. Church, as we return to church, as we invite people in, 
as we start doing life and getting back to somewhat regular, I don't know if we'll ever have our norm again, but we're coming back into the church and along with us are coming broken people, people who are burdened, people who need to be healed, people who they feel like they haven't been heard or seen. And it is your calling and command to do your part in the ministry of restoration. Never forget where you came from. I'm not talking about your hometown. I'm not talking about the city you were, you were born in. I'm talking about we were all lost. We were all in darkness before we met Jesus. We all needed to be restored. And if you be honest, we all needed someone to help us get where we are. But if you forget that, then you'll miss every opportunity God gives you to serve someone in need. I'm not telling you to try to save the world. I'm asking you, who has God put in your network of people? Who has God put close to you? Who do you say hi to at church every day? Or who do you walk past who you know could use some help? Who you know could use your prayers, your listening ear, and even your story to help them be restored. I want to end by praying this prayer. It's, gonna, it's a, it's a two-sided prayer. The first side is for those of you who you've been passing up on every opportunity the Lord has given you, and you know that there's somebody in your family, in your, in your network, in your community, on your job, who you could start to help be a part of that restoration process. My prayer is that you would take that step. Because what, what, what good would it be to get to heaven, stand before the Lord, and you say, I'm here, God. And he's like, great. Who did you, who did you help get here? And you have nobody you can bring up. The Great Commission says the disciples are called to go and make disciples. And a part of that making process is restoring people. So the second half of that prayer is, maybe you're the person that needs to be restored. You're coming to church and yes, you're worshiping and you're seeing this weird guy with his pants rolled up and a jean jacket. You're like, this sermon is cool, but what I really need is someone to help me. After the lights go out, after we stop singing, does anybody care about what I'm going through? And I don't need them to fix it. I just need them to walk with me. If that's you, I want to pray for you. So brothers and sisters, let's bow our heads. Let's pray and reflect. Who is the Lord calling me to help? If I can't think of anyone, Lord, show me who you've called me to help. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you, God, for this word. I thank you that through your son and his sacrifice on the cross, you have restored us to right relationship with you. And God, our only response to you restoring us is that we want to love people the way you loved us. We live in a culture that wants to cancel people for the things that you sent Jesus to forgive. And there are some people who, because of our schedule, because of our comfort zone, because of 
our own selfishness, we haven't allowed ourselves to sacrifice and help. I pray this message would compel every brother and sister in here to never be found not helping someone grow closer to Christ. And then, Lord, my second half to this prayer is for the person who they're giving church its last chance. They said, God, I'm going to come to church, but if it's church as usual and I leave the same, I'll never come back. I pray that that person would be met with a community of people who see them like the father saw the son afar off. And our hearts are full with compassion and we run after them to help them be restored. Lord, we love you and we'll never forget that we are products of restoration. Help us be a part of your good work to restore those who are caught in transgression. It's in Jesus' name we ask all these things. And the church said, amen, amen.